Make new friends, but keep the old. Make One is friends, silver and the other. One is silver and the other's gold. One is silver and the other's gold. The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to Village Squarecast. This is Vanessa Rouse. Thanks for joining us for Let Friendship Redeem the Republic with the God Squad in our year-long celebration of the superpower of healthy friendships across differences. We're going to talk about how to tackle difficult topics within the relationships that matter to us the most and how to keep friendships healthy even when conflicts arise. Funding for this program was provided through a grant from Florida Humanities with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Today's program will be facilitated by Pastor Betsy Willette Zierden of St. George Island United Methodist Church. The rest of the panel will introduce themselves to you shortly, so let's turn it over to Pastor Betsy. Hi, it's good to be back with you and see so many familiar faces. Um, I am Pastor Betsy Willett-Zierden, as she said, and I'm currently serving in a really hard appointment at St. George Island, United Methodist Church, uh, where the parsonage has a view of the bay. So it's, it's really rough. But um, we also have a home in Tallahassee, and I stay connected to friends here and to the community here. So I'm delighted to be a part of God Squad this morning. You see some other familiar faces. And so um, just briefly, if you would each introduce yourself, we'll start with Latricia. Greetings, everybody. I'm Latricia Scriven, and I serve here in Tallahassee at St. Paul's United Methodist Church. I am not by the bay, but I am on Lake Ella. <laughs> I'm Father Tim. I'm at the Co-Cathedral of St. Thomas More. There is uh, no water in view of my house. So. Rabbi Jack Romberg, the Emeritus of Temple Israel, and it's just nice to now and then be back here. I have to say, though, that my thing that I am deeply very concerned about, and um, actually, is the playoffs for the Philadelphia Eagles. Because <laughs> I got to follow them. So I just want to um, make a comment about friendship. Um, I've been reading a lot, even this week, there's articles in one of the newspapers I was uh, reading, it said this, a growing body of research shows that friends are essential to a healthy life and that they are just as important for our well-being as healthy eating habits or a good night's sleep. Researchers have found that large social networks lower our risk of premature death um, and more, even more than exercise and dieting alone. And um, here's another little tip. Friends and having friends and networks of friends is even more important, according to the researchers, than living near family and children, which um, I guess that's a comforting thing for me since my children 
live so far away. So friendships are important, and that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, so I'm going to give you each an opportunity, and we, I got lots of great questions. So uh, don't talk too long in between my questions, because I want to get to all of them. <laughs> Who am I looking at? Um, anyway, I, the first thing is, do you have a friend that has been your friend through the ages, through, through your life, a special friend? Who is that person? And tell us just a little bit about that special friend. Who wants to go first? I can go. I, one of my best friends I've known since we met when we were in sixth grade, and then we were roommates in college. And uh, he's also a priest, amazingly, in Orlando. Um, and we both have similar roles uh, in our church. And um, that's who he is. Yep, his name's Father Josh. Yeah, I, I have um, a number of deep, deep friends from even my um, childhood. And in fact, um, one of them, I was with him for the first time in 12 years because I met him actually when I was nine years old and we had first moved to Allentown, Pennsylvania. And um, we went to college together and, um, you know, we just, we've, we've just been together for so, but we finally got together for the first time in about 14, 15 years um, on, um, De uh, on December 11th because I actually was in Allentown for the first time in decades to speak about the book that I had done, so. One of my greatest friends actually lives in Atlanta right now, right outside of Atlanta. And yeah, she's one of my greatest friends. But one of the things I just learned um, from you, Betsy, is that I don't have to do as much walking or eating better. Um, I just need to get more friends <laughs> in my life. <laughs> But she is the person that knows all the things that I would probably not tell a lot of people, but she is the one who knows them and knows me and still loves me. That's awesome. Um, so is there anything that you might discover? Is there any issue or stance that your friend or any friend has taken that would actually cause you to end your relationship? Not for that particular one. Not for that particular Okay. Yeah, same, same thing for me. It's not All right, well, what about somebody else? Is there an issue or a belief that would cause you to step away from a friendship? In the way that I think of friendship, no. Because I think that even if we disagree, we may have to decide that particular conversations, we may not have um, those conversations as much. But in my understanding and thought of a friend, I can't imagine something that big, an issue that becomes such a wedge that we are no longer friends. That's not happened um, that I can think of. What would change a friendship for me is if they did something truly illegal that was against a person. I mean, if they, you know, shot somebody or if they, you know, something like that would really make me uh, look at that friendship and if I was going to be serious about it. Um, that's the kind of thing that would make me turn away from a, a friend. And I might be like, are we hiding the body first? <laughs> and then tell me what happened. <laughs> 
so I get an understanding of where we go from here, but I got you. <laughs> I have a joke with some of my friends, and uh, one of my, my cousin actually is here locally. When I first met her, I didn't know her. I met her a few years back, and I joked, I'm like, wait, we're blood now. I said, so if you get arrested, you know, just call me. I'll come bail you out, no questions. I don't care what you did, you know, so I expect the same. More likely that would happen to me, I told her. Um, so that's kind of my thing. I, 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 but I think friendship is, what does that mean? And I think that's the, the, the trick, right, is I would consider myself a friend of all. Um, so no matter what they did or what their beliefs are, I'm so, because I would, in that term, a friend meaning like I care about you as a human being, um, and your well-being, but obviously there's degrees of that. There's some friends that I have that I, I consider very close. There's my priest brothers um, that I was on vacation with just last week. Those are real close to me more so than some other friends. So there's degrees of friendship. And so I could see, like, if a friend of mine uh, was doing things that actively undermined, you know, what I'm doing in my life, then that would change our relationship. And so I think it's fluid. You know, I don't think it's static. Um, and I, I wouldn't, I can't think of anything particular that would say, okay, I'm, not, I'm, your, I'm your enemy now, so to speak, right? So I can't think of anything off my head, unless I guess they were trying to hurt innocent people or something. And I, I think if somebody is truly your friend, I mean truly, truly your friend, if you see, all right, putting aside, it has nothing to do with killing or whatever, but if you see somebody um, maybe thinking about something in a really weird way, because I've had you know, friends of mine ask me questions about something that maybe I was thinking about or, or um, believing or whatever, um, not about God, but about you know, just you know, things that are going on that you start to think about and, and whatever. If somebody is truly your friend, you can have a conversation with them about things that are different from the way you folks had talked about before. And um, if it's truly your friendship, then it's not the same thing as somebody had killed somebody. It's, it's the, the difference between, um, you, you know, what you were thinking about and maybe you can discuss it. And even if you don't agree with each other uh, on certain things, if you really talk it through, you can keep your friendship. Okay. Well, what about when a friend walks away from you? So one of the questions I'll invite you to answer, but I want to share. Um, the question is, have you lost a friend, not just a congregant, but a friend, perhaps, or uh, maybe specifically in a congregation, in your congregation, because of something you've said in the pulpit, or because of a decision that you've made? Um, and I, I have. <laughs> I've have been what I felt deeply betrayed because of, um, because of who I am and, and something I said and some of the things that I um, am about. Um, and what happened with me is I was basically ghosted. You know that word, ghosted? You know, they just sort of disappear from your life and you're not sure why, and you try to um, bring it up and, and there's no communication. And these are, these are people that you like traveled with and we're deeply engaged in life with. And I know that happens to pastors. It happened to me. Do you, any of you have a similar situation? And I know it's happened to some of you as well. Um, it could be business related, or it could be politically related. 
could be maybe your faith has challenged them in a way that makes them uncomfortable. Let's talk about that, a little bit about that. Well, I, I actually did lose a, a friend at one time, uh, and it was somebody who uh, welcomed me to Temple Israel back in 2001, and we became friends right away. And one of the things he was doing you know, for me and with me is he was teaching me how to golf. Okay, and we would go out and we would golf together. So for a couple of years, we were we were doing that. Um, usually on a Sunday afternoon, you know, after I was done in the Shabbat and uh, this Sunday morning teaching, you know, of the kids. Okay, so we get into 2004, and you remember the war that you know was done in Iraq. Okay, well. I gave a speech, well, actually a sermon, uh, during, I think it was Rosh Hashanah in 2004, about how I could not stand that war, and how I disagreed both with Kerry, who was running for president, because uh, he was in favor of the war, and I disagreed with him, and I really disagreed with, uh, with uh, uh, George Bush, you know, who was the president, and he was the one who put us in the war. And I, I said, I don't agree with either of them about, about this. Well, the person who had been my friend, he thought that I was basically just going against Bush and that I was in favor of, you know, speaking in favor of Kerry, which I definitely was not. I could even today even show you this, the sermon that I gave you know, uh, that I was just against the war, that I thought the war was bad for us in general, and he stopped our friendship because of that. I actually cannot think of anyone, I mean, certainly I can think of people where we did not see eye to eye or hurt you know, over some things. Stop talking about me. I'm not talking about you yet. Um, we'll talk about that. <laughs> um, but none where, you know, and even a couple of instances where we may not have been as close because we just didn't have as much in common as we thought. But I cannot think of a situation where we just ended the friendship. I'm grateful that you haven't had that experience because it is really gut-wrenching. <laughs> and maybe I just, maybe they did and I just don't realize it. <laughs> and I'm like oblivious thinking, well, oh, we're good. Um, that could be the case too. I'm trying to think of whether I should say what I'm about to say. Well, just say there's, um, I, I've, I've had people angry at me, obviously. I'm, I'm a priest. People get mad. I, sometimes they misunderstand what I'm saying or sometimes I don't say things probably as I should. I don't know. Um, so I've had people walk away. I've, I've had some friends who've kind of ceased, but I've never, I don't feel like I've ever given up. There's a, there's a character even in this town who really, really, really doesn't like me. And, and, um, and I had to trespass him from our church and he really still doesn't, he doesn't like me even more now. And, but nonetheless, even after all that and all the lies and stuff and, and everything else, I would, if you ever wanted to talk, I would be there, you know, and give him a chance, uh, to change. So. Well, I love what you said about just you kind of stay open. Um, and I'm still open. And I'm still hoping that uh, my friend is 
going to come back into my life at some point. And um, that's happened to me through the years. Um, sometimes it's situational, sometimes it's worldviews that are different, and then I catch up with their worldview, or I decide it's not as important. And um, our friendship does rekindle itself. And I know that those of you out there that are shaking your heads have had that experience as well. To just keep your heart open is really important, and, and not to become, like you said, enemies. So you all sound like you're doing a great job hanging on to friendships and being engaged and being fully who you are and speaking your mind. How have you navigated, how have you navigated your friendships with people that are entirely different in their worldviews, political views, and perhaps are not as, as ready to uh, be reticent about that? Well, I think the way that, that we have done that is not the way that a bunch of other people will do it. And I'm going to give an example. Tim, Tim and I have been, we, we're very different in certain ways because he's a priest, you know, in Catholic, and I'm a rabbi in Judaism, okay? And so that creates some real differences. But we really got to know each other about 10 years ago and became friends and started to do some things together that we really enjoyed besides, you know, even doing this together. Um, and so the differences between us uh, is a good example of how you can be friend, a friend and really enjoy being with somebody who has some different beliefs and some different thoughts uh, of what you, but yet uh, Tim was always terrific at keeping our friendship together and respecting me, and I always have respected you, Tim, you know, uh, uh, because the, those sort of beliefs, while they can be important in certain ways to yourself, it, it doesn't have to be in the way of friendship. Well, there are people, though, who are gonna be very different and handle things very differently than the way that Tim or I did in our friendship. So what the real question I think is, no, I'm not arguing with you at all, Betsy, because Betsy, by the way, is a friend of mine since about 2003 or four, okay? And, um, you know, so I'm not arguing, but the truth is, at least the truth from my perspective is, that there are some people who with their beliefs will not even think about keeping a friendship. Okay, and if it's political things, there are people on the right or the left who will take that position of not keeping a friendship with somebody who's very different from them. There are some people in different, you know, in uh, because of the differences in religion who will not keep the friendship because all of a sudden they decide that, oh, I, I can't be friend, you know, a friend with that person. And the real question that we, I think, have to consider is how can we possibly handle or tell our other friends or people to handle those situations, okay, because there are those people that will pull those friendships down, okay? Well, um, first, I was going to say to an earlier point, 
definitely I think there are people who don't like me, right? Um, and that I don't care for either. And I also think that in my concept of friendship, there are people that I very much like and we grow closer and they may or may not be friends yet, even though we take up space and we share conversations. So I do think part of it is all around how we define what it means to be a friend. That, that said, you want me to tell them now? You want to include? Oh, go you ahead. want to start? You, you start, Latricia. Okay. I'm facilitating. <laughs> See, she's, since one was shared, Betsy and I have had conflict <laughs> and gotten through it. And I actually think that we became better friends after having conflict. Because I think that true friendship is tested when differences do arise and we figure out if it's worth navigating. And so there are times in my life that um, differences have arisen with people that maybe it wasn't worth, you know, going through what it would take to navigate the process because they weren't actually friends. We may have been acquaintances, we may have been co-workers, but it just may not have been worth the emotional, spiritual bandwidth that it would take to navigate the issue. Not so with a Betsy. And we navigated. I'll let you pick up and then I'll jump in. You want to say what happened? Uh, well, I mean, don't tell all the details, but um, Latricia was filling a role when I was away from the church and I was feeling really vulnerable and we disagreed on how she should handle things or how she did handle things, at least in my mind, that's what happened. And it was very emotionally painful and I started crying, which I do, if you know me, I cry in the pulpit, I cry everywhere all the time. Um, and that was very offensive to her. Well, it was triggering. Triggering. Okay. So, so, so interesting. Yes, this is good. This is good stuff. Um, <laughs> because as we're having the conversation, and I didn't know, so I'm a, as much as I, as she cries, I laugh a lot. And so as she's speaking and I'm hearing it, even though she is being emotionally vulnerable, which I now know, I engage those tears as these are white women's tears that want to control me. We are not going down this road. <laughs> and we actually though were able to give each other space and then have a conversation about it. In fact, there was a day we were riding in the car. I'm like, Google white women's tears. And so, because- and I did, I wasn't driving, so I did. <laughs> she wasn't driving. But because we were able to have a conversation, to be vulnerable with each other, to share and respect each other in what was going on, I think it deepened who we were together as friends. And it, it enlightened me about tears. White women tears have, have been um, used as a weapon against the black community and men in particular. And I had no idea. I had no, and so I learned a lot, I changed a lot. And um, I'm grateful for that. Me too. And Latricia is a children's author. She writes books called like Jesus Laughs, Jesus Dances. <laughs> Um, you haven't done that one yet. And she, she wrote a book called Jesus Weeps, and she dedicated it in her book she wrote to me in the fly um, that it was 
partly because of my tears. She recognized Jesus' tears. So it's very, very, so one of the points is conflict done well promotes deeper intimacy. So how do you do conflict well? I mean, we've already talked a little bit about how you stay open, you have an open stance. And I love what you said about, you know, you have to make sure that it's worth the emotional investment. Like, where, where are you coming from? Because it may be way easier to walk away or to say something flippant just because that's the way we, we get along sometimes. My husband's a state climatologist, and um, when people say to him, so do you believe in uh, global warming? He, he says, so how about Alabama? He says, he just starts to talk about Alabama football. So um, deflection is Which actually, is worse. I don't know. <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. But I think deflection is important. Um, well, as, somebody, as somebody who went to Pitt, I think Alabama is worse. <laughs> I'd like to uh, respond to the, is that okay? Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Jack, for your words, too, and for your friendship. And um, I was just pondering as we're as we're reflecting here again back what is what does it mean to be a friend, and I think there's again different types of friends, and I think if I remember correctly in the four loves, C.S. Lewis kind of describes philos friendship that kind of love as as two people who are on a on a certain path or looking at the same thing or have a certain common interest. So, you know, all of my friends we have something in common um, that we are both journeying towards. Maybe it's the pursuit of truth, or maybe it's fishing, or watching FSU football, um, so <laughs> the real football team, um, just kidding, just kidding, I have, some, I have friends that are Alabama fans too, but we're not friends when it comes to football, right, so that's the thing, and, and I, I think it's fascinating that we've come to a point in our culture where this kind of matters in, in our relationships, that we've, somehow we've allowed these labels and our ideologies to become our identity, um, I'll also say that kind of tied to that is is people's sexual preferences or whatever. It becomes like a big thing like, I'm gay or I'm a heterosexual or I'm a bisexual. Like, you know, yeah, guess what? You know what? I like hamburgers. I like steak. I like redfish over trout. Like, no one cares. You know, like, that, that's, that doesn't need to be my identity or at least it's not my entire identity. So my views on a particular political issue or a particular president or a governor or a congressman or whatever, that's not who I am. And, and those things hopefully are sort of fluid as I take on new information. You know, one thing that was sort of frustrating during the, the pandemic was simply people kind of got into this lane of, you know, either you're all for the pandemic, you know, like I'm all for masks and prevention, or I, I think it's fake. And it's like, you couldn't budge from these positions, no matter what data came out or what, what evidence showed. And I think that's, we have to get away from this idea that this is so critically important what my political beliefs are, who I'm supporting as a politician. Ironically, on my way here, Mrs. Robinson was playing in the car. And you remember the line? We get loud about it, shout about it when you have to choose. Either way you look at it, you lose. And that's the fact, right? If we think, again, that politicians are going to save us or political parties are going to save us, we're, we're really mistaken, really. It's not, they're not going to save us. If we identify with them solely, I think we're, we're, it's just going to continue to lead to the division and distrust that we see already in our culture. Uh, well, back in the day, my mother taught me, and you've heard this, that at a dinner party, you don't talk about religion or politics or money. And it seems like the, all the conversations are about religion, politics, or money <laughs> right now. And, um, and I love Village Square because it does promote 
promote civility. And I believe that the civility that is missing, it might be simply uh, avoiding topics that are divisive when you know that they're going to be divisive. And I love what you said about common interests. You know, having common interests with people might be enough to hold you together. I know uh, I've read, I've not read, I heard about some sisters that have very different uh, worldviews that spend a lot of time together and appreciate each other because they're sisters, right? You set aside things. You know, I was thinking that one of the things um, that makes friendship work is being willing to say the truth. And I just don't think that many people are willing to say the truth. And sometimes it's because we may feel vulnerable in a situation or even with our friends and being able to hold what they think and it be what they think. And we don't have to think the same thing. And I was thinking about a sister that I'm close to, a clergy sister, and we were having a conversation about an equity issue that um, affected both of us. And she said, Latricia, you know, I want you to have what should be the case. She said, I'm also afraid that you getting what you should have means something will be taken from me. And I had to hear that. And I had to not simply be reactionary, but to say that I'm appreciating the fact that she is willing to be vulnerable enough to say that to me, and then I can hear it and decide to empathize or not, thankfully I did, in a way that doesn't end our friendship because this is her truth. And then I can say, I get that. And if I hear this from a person who is my friend that loves me, how do you think I have to navigate those who I know absolutely don't? And we were able to have a conversation about that because we were friends and still friends, but we see through a glass darkly. I, I, I really like what you just described. And I also uh, really agreed with uh, very much agree with um, that the truth is so important, okay? And I also will add to, I'm just adding to what you said, um, something a little bit different because we're all clergy, okay? And that is, I have said uh, through my, all my years, you know, in, in talking to the folks in, in Temple Israel, uh, one of the things that I have talked about and I think I've said it here two years ago, which is that what the Torah says and what it's trying to teach us to do is not a political position. It's not pushing you to do something politically. And I'll give you an example. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, it's talking about how you handle, or how it's important to, not how exactly, but how it's important to handle people who are poor, okay? And how they need to be helped in a certain way. Now, an ex this is an example that I give, have given to my congregation a number of times, which is number one, okay, it says you're supposed to help people who need help, but it's not saying that it should be done by personal giving money, just, you know, uh, a charity, or 
that it should be done by the government. Those are two different positions of whether it should be done by the government or done by individual peoples, you know, giving a, a, dona a donation. Okay, what it's saying is that we need to be thinking about how important it is to help people who need the help. And the point is for us as friends and people who know each other to discuss, okay, what's the best way to go about this? Now, if somebody has the position that they feel that somebody who needs help shouldn't get the help, that becomes a different, a different conversation. Uh, but uh, hopefully, the person that you're interacting with uh, may disagree with how to do it, but understands how important it is to help people who need help. Well, you, you already shared a sacred text, and it looks like it's time for us to take questions and comments. Um, no? We got a few moments? Okay. Well, I was going to ask you, does, do the sacred text, or does our Bible, does Jesus have, us, uh, have anything, um, and I think he does, but I want to hear from you, um, to say about friendship? I mean, I think so. <laughs> Um, even when, you know, when I think about the disciples and who Jesus calls when he's on the journey in these 12, there's like a tax collector that nobody likes. There's a zealot. There's somebody who's going to betray. There are all of these different, there are two that are at least related. There are all of these different personalities that somehow, because they've decided to be on this journey together, they go forth. I don't think they always get along. In fact, they fight. But I think that the whole thing that holds it together is this idea of love. And, you know, you mentioned it earlier, not just, you know, this agape God love that we all try to strive towards or some try to strive towards and may not make it, but even that friendship love that says our friendship is more important than all of the other things that exist. And we can disagree and can we still love? And so for me, one of the big anchoring teachings is around love and what that means. Well, I think, I think in our context, a real appropriate teaching of Jesus is that um, not to call your brother a fool, <laughs> you know, and to not be angry um, at your brother and that they do that goes beyond eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, it goes beyond do not kill. Um, but it says, you know, whoever is angry at his brother is liable to judgment, whoever calls him a fool, and so on. So I think in our culture right now, what we're dealing with and facing as a nation, as a society, I think that's very appropriate as, as a religious text for me is because we're often so tempted to just hate on those who disagree with us. Um, and I think that would go against Jesus's teachings. And that kind of uh, what you all said is that there's a higher concept and a higher goal uh, that should be the focus, right? So loving unity and working for the betterment of all people, that's more important in the end than very unique or particular perspectives that could divide. So um, I'm interested to know if there's a comment or a question that you have for our panel. And I think Vanessa has a microphone here. Oh, oh, oh right up here, Judith. The word that keeps coming up for me 
is respect. If you can still respect somebody and they respect you, regardless of all of these differences, if you still see each other you know, as human beings, then you, can keep, then you can keep the conversation going. You can keep talking. It's when you get confronted with this wall of, of lack of respect, of disrespect, of hate, which is based in, disre in disrespect. That's where I get stuck. And I think that's where we all get stuck. What do you do with that? Well, for the longest time, I had no idea what it meant. Um, let's go, Brandon. No idea what that meant. Now I know. <laughs> and uh, I met a friend I'll, I'll, right up here, Vanessa. Um, Daryl, OK. But um, now I know what, what that means. And um, that perspective is different than what I hold. So when I went to St. George Island, um, different neighborhood than Myers Park, I had to really quickly kind of figure out this is who these folks are and I want to love them and I want them to love me and I want to hang out with them. So I just make a funny face if somebody says something that's like not, I just let, want to let them know that I'm not with them on that, but that we're with each other in other ways. And uh, So I've learned how to navigate that by using humor and deflection and just saying, eh, not the way I think. Um, and that's been helpful. So. Daryl. Thanks, everybody. I think, I think the uh, conversation is fascinating. I was thinking back to when I was in school, I like to read Aristotle, and his idea of friendship was, friendship was between equals. So you needed to find somebody that was like you in some sense. So I went around trying to find people like me. I had a certain self-estimation, you know, <laughs> trying to find people like me, but then I realized the people that I was friends with, it wasn't because they were like me, but it was because they cared for me, um, they loved me, they helped me, and they let me help them, you know. So I was thinking about um, what you said, Father, about our beliefs, and, and, and I'm coming to the question here. And it seems to me that we discard each other for our beliefs. At the same time, many of our faith communities that we value, they teach us to love people, but they also give us a heap of beliefs that we often use to discard people. So what can we do as a faith community to communicate values in terms of our beliefs but not have them have a hierarchy over the value of people? That's a great question, um, I'll, and I'll give you... Repeat the question, please. Okay. So we teach in our faith communities beliefs, and we teach love, but sometimes our beliefs um, cause us to feel like we need to discard people because their beliefs are different. And Tim, I think... Go ahead. I think I, I guess what I would say is I think there's a mistake on our part often to think that if I say that something's wrong or is not moral or whatever, that somehow that means I'm against this person or against. And I think we have to separate actions and so on from 
people, right? So, you know, there's every in my in my mind, I'm a sinner. I'm the greatest of sinners, and people in my congregation are certainly sinners. And that doesn't mean that, you know, I, I, if I say something, uh, one of my beliefs as a Catholic, I mean, I'm pro-life. I think abortion's wrong. It doesn't mean that everybody who has had an abortion or, or supports that 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 side of of the beliefs. Is, is evil or wrong, and I think that's a big mistake on the pro-life side is to demonize the people on the other side. I think it's equally as, as foolish on the pro-choice side to demonize the people on the pro-life side. So I think that's the mistake that we've made somehow is that somehow we've kind of joined, like if I have a belief about a value or a way to live, that somehow everybody who's not, again, this goes back to this team mentality that we've, you know, this, is, this is my identity, this is who I am now, and everybody else is wrong and my enemy then I think we've we got to overcome that somehow. And I don't think, because we can take religion out of it. Everybody here has values. If you're an atheist, you have values. And our government is informed by values from somewhere. And, you know, I don't know, where, where are they, you know? Um, and I've challenged my friends here before about this. You can't come up with a, a moral value from science alone or from statements of fact. So they come from somewhere. And I think we have to be willing to accept that fact that beliefs and values, you know, they're, they're somewhere. We have to, we're going to debate this. They move. Uh, they change. Or maybe not change, but they at least we adapt them in different circumstances, what we used to call wisdom. Um, and so I think we have to be okay with that. And again, not see people as just combatants and hostile. Um, I personally, you asked the question, or someone asked the question, how do we deal with people who disagree with us? I'm very fascinated by people who disagree with me because I'm always right, you know? So I want to know, like, how did you come up with this? Because, you know? And he's not kidding. (laughs) One of of my favorite memories of these two, I've shared it once before at a God Squad. They were on my back porch. We had dinner at my house. And um, these two were still sitting there with me drinking wine. And it was when uh, former President Trump was a candidate he wasn't elected yet, and this conversation started, and you were in utter disbelief that this was happening, and you were very open-minded to the possibility. Do you remember that conversation? It's actually the night after the election. Oh, was it the yeah. night after? So, so he already won? You guys were absolutely beside yourselves. That's why you were drinking. <laughs> you were drinking so much. <laughs> there was a lot, a lot of wine and a lot of tears, but some of, the, some of those were, were happy tears, and... Uh, Thanks for letting, helping us get through that night, Tim. Yeah, I said everything would be okay. Don't worry. And <laughs> here we are. We're still here, you know? We're still here. We're still here. So anyway, go ahead. So I think that um, whatever we believe, love transcends it. And that when I can truly engage people, and, and I do think, I actually think that we are all created in the image of God. And my prayer often is, I've added to Jesus's, um, when he says, God forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And so my addition that I often say is, God forgive them for they know not what they are doing, even when I think they absolutely know what they are doing, (laughs) because at our core, sometimes we are too broken to know. And so I think that we are created in God's image. And because of each other, because of the world in which we live, there is so much brokenness. 
and we see through different lenses. Like, I did not know how much that was true until having our son, who we did not know was born with cataracts. And when he was able to have cataract surgery last year at what, 2019, when he went out at 19 for the first time, went outside and said, oh, that's what y'all mean by leaves. He could describe a tree. He knew what a tree was. In elementary school, he had drawn a tree. How many of us go through life, but because we actually have different lived experiences and traditions, we cannot see. And we want each other to see what we see, but it is sometimes impossible. Like I've been married 25 years and sometimes I'm like, you can't possibly think that. And he's saying the same to me, like you cannot possibly believe that. But when I can, with the help of a power that is beyond me, access a love that I don't even understand, then that helps me to transcend all things because I get to start with, you are created in the image of God. And I too think I'm right, <laughs> almost all the time. Um, but what I've said is, my husband's looking like almost, um, and I had a friend that say that to me. She said, you think you're right. I said, I do. And I'm not foolish enough to know that I'm right. So there is still a thing that says, but can love transcend all the rest because we start with a common humanity? And so for me, I'm willing to throw away all the lines that say, throw them out because of this and because of this and because of this and because of this and say, nope, but love. Because for me, it's more important. Because you mentioned uh, us being connected to God, uh, you know, being like God in a certain way. Actually, uh, since I'm doing the service tonight at Temple Israel, I'm actually saying something about this that's connected to the uh, Torah portion of this week for Jews, okay? And it, it, here is what I'm, one of the things I'm gonna be talking about and saying, and that is that in this week's Torah portion, uh, when God is speaking to Moses to get the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, okay, it was very clear that God, from what's in the Torah that God uh, had not been prayed by the Israelites in Egypt very, very much at all, but uh, they started to ask him to get them out of slavery. And the God cared terribly about the Israelites and was pushing Moses to do the work to talk to the, you know, the for, for, to, to get them out. Well, the way we are supposed to be like God is not the way we look not the way our faces or anything are, but the attitude of if somebody is not paying much attention to us, 
We should care if they need pro if they have problems and need the help. And in fact, in Judaism, there's a lot in the Torah, yes, about traditions that you do, you know, the way you pray and, you know, being kosher and all that kind of stuff. But a lot, a lot of what is in the Torah is how you're supposed to act as a person, how you're supposed to, what you're supposed to do as a person to care for other people. That's a huge amount of what's in the Torah. So caring is an action word, not just a feeling. Correct. And regardless of the divisions that we see, we are still all connected. And I think that love is what connects us all, right? And so it's naive to think that we can stay in our silos and stay separate, because even in our separation, we're affecting one another. Um, we're all united. We're, we're all united in the, in, the, in the sense of under God's reign and love. Uh, I have nothing more but another question if you want one or another comment. Yes. Thank you. Um, what separates a person from um, an acquaintance? What character trait moves them from an acquaintance to friend, a true friend? For me, it has changed as I have grown. And, and what the research shows is actual caring. A, a friendship requires uh, something to be done. It's not just what you feel or think, but doing something selfless for another person is what caring means. So to be a more caring person will promote deeper and broader friendships. And I want to end today with something I know some of you know, so I need help. It's something I learned in Girl Scouts. You know this song? Please help me. Make new friends, but keep the old. One is silver and the other's gold. Make new friends, but keep make new friends, but keep the old. One is silver and the other's gold. We were going to do a round. Okay, let's do the round. Okay. <laughs> All right. This side of the room, start with you. Make new friends, but keep the old. Make One is silver and the other's gold. One is silver and the other's gold. One is silver and the other's gold. Thank you so much. That was just awesome. The Girl Scout. Yay! Thank you so much. Guys, you didn't know that? You didn't, you didn't learn that in Cub Scout? Well, now you know it. So thank you, Village Square, for allowing us to do this. Uh, we hope that we are modeling friendship across diversity and across division. Hey there, Vanessa back here with you again. Have I told y'all lately how much I absolutely love the God Squad and I love the audience? Every single program just delights me. And here's what especially delighted me about this one, which by the way, starts with a little behind the scenes moment. So guess what y'all, we did not plan to have two pairs on this panel who each had personal disagreements with each other. That was a surprise to me 
And I think it was my favorite part besides that Girl Scout song, of course. Anyway, I was going to say that this was super lucky, but then I realized I don't think it's luck at all. I think it's the product of this thing that we do here. We draw out real substance from people and we practice dealing with conflict in a healthy way. We feature people who are doing this in their own lives and who value deep relationships with those around them. So cheers to them and cheers to all of you for diving in with us on this journey. All right, I've got one more thing to share before we close out. Speaking of delightful, check this out. One of the audience members called me later in the day after this program to say that this had inspired him to rekindle a relationship. And he had already gone to see his friend and they had a fantastic visit. And even though I was on the phone with this guy, I could tell he was just glowing. So my takeaway is this. You never know what people need to hear at what time or for what reason. But if we all keep tuning in for things like this that help us feel more connected rather than more divided, this can be our new normal. Imagine if we saw bridging narratives around us most of the time instead of all the divide and conquer mess constantly. That's what we do here at the Village Square. We are working towards a tipping point every single day, along with hundreds of other organizations from sea to shining sea. To stay up to date with everything happening at the Village Square so you can keep bridging constantly with us on a regular basis, sign up for our newsletter at villagesquare.us. Scroll to the bottom for the newsletter sign-up box. And please consider joining our members in supporting this programming. You can become a member for just $7 a month or $76 a year, and your business can join for $250. Go to villagesquare.us slash donate to join today. Funding for this program was provided through a grant from Florida Humanities with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Check out Florida Humanities online at floridahumanities.org. We appreciate you listening to Let Friendship Redeem the Republic with the God Squad. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon, and thanks so much for listening to Village Squarecast. Cast.